0: The presiding officer directs judgment to be entered in accordance with the judgment of the Senate as follows. The Senate having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment exhibited against him by the House of Representatives, and two-thirds of the Senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein, it is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, Acquitted of the charges in said articles.
1: Welcome to a special episode of Talking Feds Now, which we reserve for immediate reactions to days of landmark developments. And you could say today qualifies. A few hours ago, the Senate voted to acquit President Trump of the two articles of impeachment brought by the House of Representatives, one for abuse of power, growing out of a scheme to force the president of Ukraine to announce an investigation of a political rival, and one for obstruction of Congress. Growing out of the president's wholesale blockade of the legislative efforts to gather evidence in Congress's oversight function. On the one hand, the verdict, I think it's fair to say, was never in doubt, at least for many months. Nearly all the 53 Republicans in the Senate threw their lots in from the start with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who had boasted before the trial that he intended not to follow his oath to do impartial justice. And in fact, to coordinate completely with the White House in its defense. On the other hand, the acquittal brings to a close a particularly stormy chapter in the tempestuous presidency of Donald Trump. So it's a historic development in itself, and also the way it went down promises to lead to multiple and hard to predict repercussions in the election season that we have just entered and beyond. I'm Harry Littman, a former United States Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General and a current Washington Post columnist. And joining me to unpack today's events and take a sort of first stab at history are a fantastic group of three charter feds, Well known to listeners of this podcast and to anyone who watches MSNBC, among other channels. To introduce them just quickly, we have Frank Figliuzzi, the former assistant director for counterintelligence at the Federal Bureau of Investigation, as well as the previous special agent in charge of the FBI's Cleveland division. He's a national security contributor for NBC and MSNBC News. Welcome, Frank. Thanks for having me on a, a day that will go down in history. Or in infamy, When February 5th, 2020, a day that will live in infamy. Well, not Mr. Glenn Kirshner, who served in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia for 24 years, rising to multiple positions, including chief of the homicide section. He also served on active duty as an Army judge, advocate, general, prosecutor. Glenn, thanks for being here.
0: Happy to be here on what is a a dark day for our country, Harry.
1: And finally, Barb McQuaid, a professor at the University of Michigan School of Law. Barb was the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan from 2010 to 2017, and before that, an assistant U.S. attorney for many years. Barb, thanks for being here, too.
2: Thanks, Harry. Glad to join the conversation. All
1: right, so let's just uh, dive in. So much we could talk about. Why don't I set it up with this? We had uh, today in the Washington Post a um, editorial by the House managers writing, by denying the American people a fair trial, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell also deprived the president of something that he desperately sought, exoneration. There can be no exoneration without a legitimate trial. Contrast that with Peter Baker, the Washington correspondent for The New York Times, who said the votes were a resounding victory for President Trump after five months of scandal. Very contrasting views who's right, who's wrong, and why.
2: Well, I think uh, where you where you stand depends on where you sit or however that saying goes. Um, t- to me, this whole impeachment uh, episode, has really emphasized how much uh, tribalism has taken over our country. Uh, The way people voted, the way people are uh, saying that uh, Mitt Romney for voting in favor of removal should be expelled from the Republican Party for his disloyalty. I mean, it suggests that uh, loyalty matters above all, above facts, above law. And as a lawyer and a professor of law who spends Every day, teaching students about the importance of the rule of law and the duty to uh, support and defend the Constitution, um, it's really um, not just head-scratching, but um, deeply disturbing and disappointing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you almost have to recoil at the very idea. Nevertheless, the sort of bottom line first take here – Between the house managers and Baker, resounding victory or no exoneration? Is it simply a matter of as you, as Barb says, where you sit for forty percent? It's a resounding victory for forty percent. It's no exoneration, and there's twenty in between. You know what is the sort of impact or meaning of the verdict? Hey, I I, this is Frank.
3: I I think. this is a question of time time and distance because i think both are are correct i th- i think this is being spun clearly by the white house and um the gop as a resounding victory for the president but i do not think that time will serve them well i think the house manager's editorial has a point about this not being exoneration. And by that, I mean, when you basically laugh in the face of 75% of the American public who wanted to see witnesses, you will ultimately pay a price for that. Now, now that may be a while, maybe November, but I, if this is exoneration, it's going to be exoneration with an asterisk, which is, let's wait and see how exonerated he really is.
1: Glenn?
0: Yeah. Um, so I tend to look at everything through prosecutor's glasses, which I have been unable to take off after retiring from the Department of Justice about a year and a half ago. Uh, maybe I'll never be able to take them off, but I see this as sort of uh, lawlessness versus uh, law abidingness, if that's a word. I. Find it still difficult to accept that senators can see the crimes that were committed by the president and others in his administration in plain sight, whether it was violating the Impoundment Act, by wrongfully withholding congressionally appropriated funds, whether it was a clear case of both bribery and extortion of President Zelensky soliciting a thing of value in exchange for an official act, or whether it's the blatant obstruction of Congress by just flat out refusing to comply with lawfully issued subpoenas. I mean, that is a whole rack of lawless conduct. And yet there are Republican senators who voted to acquit, apparently without batting an eye, thereby endorsing the conduct and encouraging future uh, lawless conduct. That to me is something that I don't think I will ever quite understand. Um, You would think that people have some baseline of decency and patriotism after having taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And yet, apparently, they don't. And that's why I think it's a it's a really dark day for the country.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to second that in some ways. It's funny. We get caught up in the news cycle ourselves unavoidably. And Romney did this. And what's it going to mean for Collins? But, you know, taking a step back, you know, we saw this train coming but the gravity of it—it's true. Every you, you know, I've been sort of blinking off and on all day and remembering. Oh my God, what are they doing? Speaking as a prosecutor, and maybe we all share that viewpoint on this episode. You know, you're never certain. You're rarely certain when you're trying your case that that you're going to prevail. And yet, from the pretty much from the time the the house managers had their sixth, their seventh, their eighth career public servant. Be it Maria Yovanovitch or Ambassador Taylor or whatever, it was you know beyond clear to me thinking as a prosecutor that the case had been proven, and I went you know immediately to the question of what what are they actually going to try to say about it and and yet we always. You know, knew, and they told us in plain sight that they were that 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 matters. Little things like law and facts weren't going to really um, uh, carry the day at all. I think what you say uh, brings us, and and as does what Frank says to the to a Romney point that was interesting. I mean, Frank uh, points out seventy five percent of the country, and what that means, of course, is the witness decision. Maybe the country was divided. Not even on the question of his guilt so much as, you know, do they want him or do they not? But there was this overwhelming for this country in 2020. Uh, consensus for having witnesses. And I thought one of the more effective points of Rodney's very effective presentation was how he turned it back on McConnell, the decision not even to have witnesses. He said, look, I voted for it because I thought maybe it would create a reasonable doubt. I didn't have one then, but you want to hear more to maybe hear a reasonable doubt. And it suddenly came home that, you know, they didn't even want to to be able to present potentially favorable evidence from from Bolton they didn't want any evidence uh there because they you know just wanted to go home as soon as possible what what you got you know Romney is the one element of drama in an otherwise predictable day what what are your thoughts well let's start how how damaging is the the Romney uh vote again it's on count 1 only on abuse of power how big a blow is this to the white house
3: you've already seen we've already seen the spin on this as uh, hey this was a political partisan move by romney to trump uh, trump has been tweeting this is all about him uh, having wanted to be president sour grapes so um and can, you can see- can,
1: will that dog hunt do you think
3: yeah well, well certainly resonating with his base there's some horrible um and nasty comments coming on social media from from Trump's base toward romney, and i i I would guess uh, the Capitol Police are, as we speak, uh, beefing up the security detail on Senator Romney uh, yeah. because he's in for it, and um you know i I, I wish him the best, but i I don't think uh, Barb started out talking about the polarization and tribalism we're seeing. So people are set right now, and they're not, Romney's single voice in the wilderness isn't likely to sway anybody on the Trump side.
1: It won't sway anybody, but what? So how do you think it plays both in history and maybe over the next few months? Does it play as a profile and courage moment and speech? Or does it does it play as sour grapes? And of course, these questions are in some ways unfair because reflecting the American people, I'm sure one impulse is to say, "Well, it plays both ways." You know, back to Barb, where who's who? whom am I talking to? But but nevertheless, there's you know maybe it's a fifty five forty five kind of thing. But overall, in a cynical country, but one in you know I in which. I thought Romney gave a very compelling sincere seeming speech you know anchored in faith and integrity does it carry not the whole day but does it does it carry a majority of people who who think you know that this this was him stepping up and doing the right thing, as opposed to a craven political. I, I'm
2: going to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I I like to think that I you know I, I I heard his words. I I do think it it at least sounded sincere. Maybe that just means he's that good at at acting. But um, I I don't think so. I think that um, he probably knew this isn't going to change the outcome. Um, I think he probably knew that this was going to bring him a lot of personal political heat from President Trump, who, as we know, um, uh, is a, a ve- has a very vengeful spirit. But I, I think that for people who are in the middle, who are independents, who are not uh, beholden to one party or another, it was refreshing to hear someone speak the truth that was uh, the opposite of the party line to say what I think is incredibly plain to see, which is that the House did prove its case, that President Trump did these things, and that contrary to the words of people like Lamar Alexander and Susan Collins, it is not just inappropriate, it is unconstitutional, it is unpatriotic, it is disloyal to the United States. And so I found it refreshing to hear not just senators, but a Republican senator speak the truth on the floor of the Senate.
1: You know, I thought so, too. And I thought like Collins in particular and Alexander were came off as then being so mealy and barely uh, coherent. And, you know, it's a vote. It's one vote. He knew it wouldn't change. But um, the talking point for some time has been this is purely partisan and they trumpeted the notion That it was a bipartisan vote against impeachment because they picked up one or two in the House. So now that talking point comes home to roost, right? It's a bipartisan vote in favor of removal, and indeed Romney's is the first vote. You know, because Nixon didn't proceed to a vote, he's the first vote of an opposing party to remove a president in our history. So you know, I just think there was a real emperor's new clothes aspect. To the speech, because you know everybody, everybody basically knows that what he was saying was true. You know that may, maybe I've, I'm drinking some kind of Kool Aid, but but I think it a really undermined the you know obvious kind of intellectual dishonesty of the of the gang, but also took away a big talking point that they wanted badly and bitterly to to use. I think there's a real anger in the White House tonight. And I'll say one more thing, which is, yeah, you can say he wanted to be president or whatever. But, he wa- you know, there's um, Senator Cruz and, uh, you know, he's not the only one in the in this, you know, there's Senator Graham. They were beaten up by Trump and yet they fell into into line. So obviously Romney stands out there.
0: Yeah. If if I can just jump in, I'm going to um, borrow Barb's word, which is refreshing. I think it was refreshing that a Republican senator voted, you know, what was the evidence, perhaps lack of evidence. But um, I, I don't and I don't want to be critical of Romney, but I don't think it's particularly courageous when you assess the evidence, which is overwhelming and you vote in accordance with that evidence. I don't think that's a profile in courage. I think that's what we expect thousands of jurors to do every day in this country. Um, yes, there may be repercussions, and it, it saddens me to hear Frank say, uh, I'm sure quite accurately, that his security detail may have to be beefed up now because that is apparently where we are as a country. Um, I do think it will be viewed – over time, as a pretty consequential vote, I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, Mitt Romney was a, uh, a, a candidate for the presidency. Yeah, he was the Republican nominee. Republican, right? That's you know, this guy ain't Jim Jordan. Uh, okay, this is actually <laughs> a, a, a thoughtful, articulate, you know, circumspect, well-respected man. Um, so I do think history will look well on him. And you know, when when you heard that speech he gave. He really hit all of the points. It was a pretty powerful refutation of each and every ridiculous argument the president's lawyers made. So refreshing. I'm going to stick with that.
1: And there was something else in particular, Frank, don't you think, which is his appeal to faith? You know, there's always been this discordance uh, in Trump's popularity, which is he's, you know, he's about the most profane and, you know, unreligious uh, or unvirtuous man to occupy the White House, yet he's he's had the support of, you know, not just the reg- religious community, but he's been able to spout certain pieties. But to the extent you took Romney as really speaking, you know, about the oath in, in terms of you know uh, his obligation to to tell the truth based on faith, it really I think uh, made the rest of the Republicans who would like to appeal to those values uh you know look pretty craven no that's a great point. I think we saw a stark contrast
3: today between a man who we have absolutely every reason to believe has a genuine faith and and that drives his decision making um against a president who claims to be a part of the religious right and invoked uh, prayer in his state of the union speech several times, including the time when Nancy Pelosi rolled her eyes. Um, and, and, but I think it rings false with just about everybody who believes he's just faking that part of his, his life. So we saw the star contrast. I think Glenn and Barb have, have struck the proper um, balance, which is to say, we we've got to applaud integrity when we see it these days. It's rare, um, particularly on the floor of the Senate. Um, but yet, I'm I, I, I'm ever cynical, um, and I and I think time will tell as to whether what what truly has motivated Rondy Because if you define courage and character as the capacity to do the right thing even in the face of the severest consequences then I'm not yet sure how severe the consequences are. I've seen some folks commenting that, hey, he really had nothing to lose in the sense that he's probably, this is not going to cost him likely an election in Utah. He's a sole voice on the Republican side, so he wasn't going to change the outcome of of the acquittal. So he kind of, you know, this could have been an opportunity for him to plant the integrity flag, but not necessarily go down for the count.
1: Yeah no it's a good point probably more than anyone else he could afford to be uh, a Maverick. You you hear similar kinds of versions of the Barry Goldwater thing. Nevertheless, he will be the one who will be, you know, singled out on this side. Well, let's take everybody else, everybody but Romney, and they divide. It, you know, you had you, you're 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 just some other senator who has to now say something. The time has finally come for you to defend the president, even in two sentences, because you're going to have to. Cast a vote. Even then, some people ran away from the two sentences. You know, Ben Sass says, I'm, I'm with Alexander. But they gave an interesting diversity of responses, right? Some took the total Trump line of, He did nothing wrong. And, you know, it was the perfect, you could say. Some tried to blame everything on the House and the Democrats. You saw Collins do that, as she had sort of done with with Kavanaugh. Some were a little legalistic and said the House just didn't prove it. And then there were, you know, a few. And my guess is actually, it'll be their voices that will really be remembered the the lamar alexanders and murkowski's and Collinses who say their words are inappropriate but not impeachable that's what they said um and i think we'll be hearing that a a lot but does that does that hold up at all i you know they, they, they 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 you say those words inappropriate but not impeachable but what does it even mean when you try to attach it to the the facts and the charges here how can you take the facts as proven, but take it as a, as a slap on the wrist kind of offense?
2: Yeah, Harry, I, I don't know whether to be um, pleased with those senators like Senator Alexander and Senator Collins, who at least admitted the truth uh, and didn't say you know things like it was a perfect call and this is all about one phone call. I think those who are truth deniers are really the worst uh, of all of them. They, um, I, I think, have really... Taken the bottom out of democracy, which is based on at least an agreement on what the facts are and a difference of opinion on issues. And so I, I guess I will give Senators Alexander and Collins some credit for at least acknowledging the facts. But then to say those facts, however, do not amount to an offense that is removable strikes me as absurd. And siding only with this is my party and I'm sticking with them. I I don't know how you can say that, that asking a foreign government to smear a a political rival and then to uh, withhold military aid that would harm the, the national security of Ukraine, the national security of the United States against an adversary like Russia that would undermine our credibility with our allies in the world and our ability to be fighters of corruption around the world, serious damage to the country so that the president could advance his own personal interests. That is the essence of abuse of power, dereliction of duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and even violated a law in the Impoundment Control Act. I don't know how you can find those facts to be true and yet not removable.
1: And it's interesting because each of the statements I really paid attention to them carefully. they didn't say anything like you said they didn't make any statement about what the facts were. they just said it was inappropriate and <laughs> yeah. it but you know if you actually try to put it together like you're you know a, a language student or whatever, give me a full sentence, please, and you say what the facts showed, it just doesn't fit with not impeachable you know it it's it just comes off as a kind of uh, convenient life preserver or sound. No, I
3: think, Harry, I I think that this defense we're hearing of, uh, hey, inappropriate but not impeachable has been both effective, effective with the base, and harmful at the same time. I've talked to a a couple.
1: Harmful to the base? No, effective effective,
3: um, with the base, but harmful to the larger cause of rule of law and justice. And by that, I mean I'm hearing Trump supporters. I I talked to one recently who said – yeah. It, it, but here's the harm. It, it's giving, it's effective and harmful because it's giving them a rationale and a face saving out. And it's, it reminds me of when I would do interviews as an FBI agent of, of subjects of criminal cases. The, the technique that you want to use is to give that person a reason to accept his behavior and, and, and confess it and, and move on. Whatever it takes to give them that that rationale, you know what you did wasn't so bad, right, and you want to get them nodding their head. that's right, that's right, it did it, but it's not so bad. what what I'm seeing amongst trumpsters is is exactly that. Yeah, what he did was sketchy. One person used the word sketchy" with me, but it's not mm-hmm. it's, no, it's not impeachable. and and so it's been effective with the base, but it's been harmful to the larger cause of justice.
1: Yeah, I mean, back, uh, Glenn, in the sort of prosecutorial mindset, if you presented this case to a jury and they came out, say, you know, acquit or even a hung jury and, and you interviewed them after, which you can do sometimes if the judge permits you to, and they were saying stuff like that. Uh, you would, you would, a I think, be angry. I I would be, and b you would just see it as jury nullification. You'd say, you know, what the hell does that mean? I mean, you'd you'd you try to act nice, and you'd wait till you got back to your office to start throwing books. But it but it would be such a complete, you know, stonewalling of the of of what had gone on in trial for th- three weeks. Yeah, and I've uh, had
0: more than my share of hung juries over the years, and I would go back and speak with the jurors just so I could assess what worked well, what worked poorly, how I might want to retool my my presentation for the retrial. And it it was often the case that the jurors would start talking about the evidence, and it became clear to me that perhaps through my own shortcomings, I, I didn't make things clear enough for them. I think if we were to talk to theoretical jurors after the impeachment, I won't call it a trial because it wasn't the impeachment hearing. People probably would have said things that made it clear that the confusion that the Republicans attempted to inject into the process worked. What I still have a hard time understanding is how Congress – Can endorse this behavior by a president, which will have the result moving forward of Congress relinquishing some of its own powers. Because let's assume that Congress appropriates aid for Ukraine again next year to defend against Russian aggression. Don't we expect that the president would figuratively take that aid package? put it in his back pocket, tell President Zelensky, I need another favor though. And what I'd like to do is uh, buy some land in Kyiv at a really reduced price because in the future, I'm going to want to build Trump Tower Ukraine. And um, why can't he attach personal conditions to congressional appropriations for all time for the remainder of his presidency? Congress has said, that's okay. It's not Uh, It may be inappropriate, but it's not going to get you fired from your job. The same thing with respect to oversight you know, this could be viewed as the death of congressional oversight of the executive branch. And Congress is the one by its vote to acquit that is relinquishing that power. I mean, why not just give the executive branch the authority to declare war and wrap up the legislative branch shop? Let's just shutter it. Let's just close it down and let the executive branch do everything. So, um, you know, there are so many reasons to dislike the, the way that Congress handled this matter.
1: Right. And I mean, never even see a document. We've been used, to saying that the republicans are all in for party over country but you're absolutely right they're 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 all in for the president over congress you know yeah. we, we've traced in general a rise in executive power and decline in congressional power over the last you know say 50 60 years but that's usually been battles that congress has lost or has been too cowardly to wage here, we, um, you know, basically, I, I, I think you could say that that the imperative for McConnell of keep of, of keeping the majority ship was worth even basically pithing some of the powers of Congress, and those don't necessarily come back in the overall struggle. What's going to happen next time Congress issues a subpoena and and the executive just you know says well. C- go pound sand. It's not going to be easy, right? Yeah.
2: And Harry, you know, um, even Mitt Romney voted against the second article of impeachment, which related to President Trump's contempt of Congress relating to the subpoenas. There was so much scorn for that one, uh, as if uh, unless the president, uh, you, you get a ruling by a court, Congress's power means nothing. That The fact that President Trump refused and defied those subpoenas was meaningless because the House didn't go to the mat, file lawsuits, get a ruling from the Supreme Court. Take 18 months. And, and get past the very election that is the focus of this impeachment. The concern is that you know by the time they run out the clock, he will have rigged and won the next election. And so I, I think that- I have as much outrage about Article 2 as I have about Article 1, the power of Congress to serve as a check on the president. I mean, even
1: Romney, you know, was almost scornful and dismissive of Count 2. But it it wasn't simply that they were going to court in in good faith. They gave over nothing in contrast to, to, you know, Nixon and and any other executive branch. And uh, they made ludicrous claims. And most importantly, that you had Trump himself saying, I don't care what it is. I don't care what the claims I don't care. Good faith, bad faith. We're not giving over anything. How much of a stronger case could you have for obstruction? But I but I, I was perplexed also that that people gave it such back of the hand treatment, including Romney.
0: Yeah, Can I say this, Harry, in case our blood is not yet sufficiently <laughs> boiling, yeah. um, did did you all see the press release put out by Senator Grassley's office uh, announcing th- this just came shortly after the, the vote to acquit that uh, he, both uh, Senator Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson jointly have requested of the Secret Service Hunter Biden's travel records because they want to investigate wrongdoing and conflicts of interest? You know what? I predict that we're going to see some – How long is that going to take to produce, right? Yeah. They're going to to produce those documents, I predict, and that will, again, expose exactly what's going on here and how they are obstructing, but they're all too willing to comply when it comes to going after their enemies. So stay tuned for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, people have said, well, this will just give them – Spur to 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 do it. You wondered, really? But yeah, I mean, Lindsey Graham's already announced they're going to try open season on you know Hunter Biden, which, besides being scummy, is just completely beside the point. But it won't matter. Did I did I uh, interrupt you? No, it's it's Frank. um, I I just you know. Actually, let me say, did I interrupt you, Frank?
3: Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I've read the press release that Glenn's referring to, and it's it's just deeply troubling uh, bec- for a couple of reasons. One is, um, right, we've just gone through this battle where, you know, fighting every congressional subpoena. And here we come with the Senate subpoenaing the Secret Service. And of course, the Secret Service is run um, under the DHS, and that's a appointee of Trump. So we'll see. Very quick compliance, perhaps. Um, it'll it'll be interesting if somebody takes a stand um, over at the service. I, I hope they do. But look, it's a blatant attempt to attack the, the what is perceived as a main rival of the president right now. So it's it's extremely partisan. But also, I have to wonder: um, are they prepared to have to see a subpoena uh, in the House for the Trump kids travel under Secret Service protection? Are they want they are they ready for that? So I I wonder if they thought this through. If we're, you know, are they going to, if the Secret Service is going to turn over Hunter Biden's travel records, they've got to turn over the Trump kids' travel records. And you're going to see trips to China and all kinds of fascinating places where they're doing business and the Secret Service is paying for their, you know, we're paying for the Secret Service protection.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, Jared Kushner as well. And that's where I actually wanted to move because there's an in- interesting strategic question here for the house. It's been the only entity in all this time that has shown, and only, of course, after 2018, that has shown any kind of, uh, muscle or will to push back. Where do they go from here? You can see a school of thought that says, you know, we've got to push harder than ever. There's all this stuff that didn't come out. They said we didn't run the subpoena battles all the way through the court. Well, let's let's do it now. And we have to be really the cops on the beat or he'll he'll uh, cheat again. That would be one view. The other would be, whoa, you know, the uh, the American people tolerated this. But if it looks like you're in some kind of permanent you know, almost in impeachment mode, you're gonna, you're gonna really turn off the, the 75% who wanted the more information. W- what do you think they ought to do? And then, and what do you predict they will do in terms of ongoing congressional oversight over the next, say, eight to nine months?
2: Well, I, I think this is one of those places, Harry, where. What happens in Congress is very different from what happens in prosecutors' offices. If a prosecutor were looking at this case, uh, they wouldn't care about the political fallout or the consequences. You would do what you think is right to achieve justice, and so you would pursue it. Here, I do think you're right that they have to calculate a little bit about um, fatigue and the impression and political fallout that uh, they're. They're not really doing the work of the country. They're just involved in endless investigations. But I think they have the advantage of following up on continuing investigations. For example, the Don McGahn subpoena is still out there, and that's going to go to the Supreme Court along with some others. There's some cases going to the Supreme Court in March. So I think pursuing some of those pending cases may give them the opportunity to not look like they're just starting over and being vengeful, but just continuing in the oversight that they already had. And I think if they can get Don McGahn to come testify and they can get a ruling that there is no such thing as absolute immunity, then maybe they have an opportunity to call other people like John Bolton and come back and, and, and get the rest of those facts.
1: I mean, it's a great point, McGann. If if it plays through and they say he has to testify, what are they supposed to do? Just fold up shop? Although maybe then they go into round two of saying, "Okay, we we he doesn't have absolute immunity, but every question you want to ask him, it turns out we want to assert immunity over." Or you know, they start they start fighting sort of hand to hand combat.
0: Yeah, Harry. My view is there should be oversight hearings. F- Every day from tomorrow (laughs) through November 3rd, because when you're fighting for justice, you go down swinging. I don't I'm not saying that we need to keep voting out articles of impeachment, you know, impeach him early, impeach him often, that train may have left the station. But that doesn't mean the Congress should stop investigating the wrongdoing that continues to be perpetrated by Trump and, and his administration. And, and I think one of the interesting questions will be, will they finally, they being the House, finally decide to deploy their powers of inherent contempt if the administration continues to just thumb its nose at all lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. Some some might have said, well, it hasn't been done since the 1930s, and it really feels like sort of overreaching and heavy handedness. We just finished a Senate trial without witnesses, without documents, and without evidence. As we all know, in a thousand courtrooms in every jurisdiction in this country today, judges instructed juries, ladies and gentlemen, statements of counsel are not evidence, not opening statements, not closing arguments. The only thing that's evidence is what comes from the witness's mouth on the witness stand and the documents that are admitted. So, I mean, talk about being heavy handed and overreaching. That's what we just saw in the Senate. Will the House still decline to use all of its lawful powers to to hold this administration to account?
1: Let me, let me stay with you for just a minute. Spell out, because it is a little arcane and hasn't been dusted off in a while. What do you, what do you mean? How would the inherent contempt uh, path, what would it look like?
0: So the inherent contempt would involve if um, an administration official received a lawful subpoena to appear before Congress to testify, and they just said, I ain't showing up. Then you can get – I think you have to get a, a, a full House vote to uh, hold them in contempt, and then you enforce the subpoena by sending the sergeant at arms, Paul D. Irving, former Secret Service officer, agent, out to arrest, probably as supplemented by the Capitol Police, to go out and arrest the person for contempt. And then, I mean, I think you should hold them until they appear and purge the contempt and testify truthfully. Now, that may result in that case immediately jumping into the courts and being resolved promptly rather than this sort of, you know, bringing suit and then wait 18 months or longer to go up and down the appellate chain to get these issues ultimately resolved. And as you were just alluding to in the McGahn litigation, once the Supreme Court, I predict, rules that there is no such thing as absolute immunity, then McGann walks in and invokes executive privilege and we're back in the district court. So, i don 't see why they wouldn't go hard because you 're playing fair but you 're playing hard, and like I say if you 're fighting for justice, you go down swinging
1: okay so leaving just leaving the content point to the side, Frank because there's some there's obviously some tricky legal issues there you know wh- where are you both as a matter of you know what? What Glenn used the word "should," and of course, you can parse that two ways, right? That's the right thing to do. And he spoke like a prosecutor with a you know a love of, of right and justice. Or "should" could also mean the smart play. So, where are you generally on whether the uh, the ver- you know we have three different committees in Congress that were that were pretty active on whether they should all be in kind of perma-investigation mode between now and, and October, November. Look,
3: I, I think there's an ethical uh, reason to continue the fight. This is a fight to the finish. By that, I mean, it's either what the House managers have claimed it is, which is a battle for our form of democracy and to save the rule of law, or it's not. And, and if it is, and by the way, I believe it is, I believe we're watching the demise of our current form of democracy which is the three equal branches of government if if that's what it is you you fight and you fight like hell i you know i've heard lots of thoughts about nancy pelosi ripping up the uh, the president's speech last night and that it was impolite yes it was and that it was uncouth yes it was but if we're if we're fighting for our democracy and the rule of law Against a president, by the way, that according to the Washington Post this morning made 31 untrue or embellished claims during his State of the Union address, then perhaps it deserved to be ripped up. So I'm I'm in for the fight, in for a penny, in for a pound.
1: Barb, final thoughts on this point?
2: I'm hopeful that it's not the end of the demo- of democracy as we know it, but I do think that the House did something very important in filing articles of impeachment. I don't think all was for naught. I think it was important to to say it matters. We stand for something. We stand for enforcing our oversight powers, and we stand for protecting our country from abuse of power by the president. I do think that they need to continue to pursue uh, some of the things that are pending and take those where the evidence leads them. Uh, I, I agree that, It seems unlikely that we're going to see another impeachment, but I do think exposing abuse through uh, the oversight powers that the House has is very important. And let me just add
1: one note in in support of that. You know, this whole thing played out, and we saw the Mueller report come to fruition, but and then not have you know anything like a knockout blow. I began to think, all right, maybe he personally, maybe Trump doesn't uh, see justice, but there's a separate imperative in a democracy that we just have to know what the hell happened. And part of it, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I agree so strongly with you, Barb, about the second count, and I guess everybody uh, in this discussion we are right now in this completely untenable uh, really abhorrent spot as a uh, you know as a democracy in not even knowing the facts of this totally grave situation and and it you know it, it may be our ability to know them will probably be compromised as time goes on and maybe as as trump Uh, and you know leaves office and you know god knows what those last uh what happens in paper shredders all over washington in those last few days so much to play out here and to think about and of course it will be in the context of a uh, very unsettled political uh season where the democrats themselves have very different alternatives to offer so this will all be continued week by week but for now that's That's all we have time for. Thank you very much to Frank, Glenn, and Barb. And thank you very much, listeners, for tuning into Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkingFedsPod to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can go to patreon.com slash talkingfeds for some exclusive materials that we uh, offer by way of thanking supporters who make it a little bit easier for us to put this podcast on. And you can also check us out on the web at talkingfeds.com where we have full episode transcripts. Submit your questions to questions at talkingfeds.com, whether it's for five words or fewer, or general questions about the inner workings of the legal system for our sidebar segments. Thanks for tuning in, and don't worry, as long as you need answers, the Feds will keep talking. Talking Feds is produced by Jennifer Bassett, Anthony Limos, Rebecca Patton, and Jenny Josephson. David Lieberman and Rosie Griffin are our contributing writers. Production assistants by Sarah Philippum and Sam Trachtenberg. Thanks, as always, to the phenomenal Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Dolito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See
2: you next time.